Hey, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're continuing on in uh, the midst of the Sermon on the Plain. It's lasted for three whole weeks, longest sermon ever, right? Uh, but we're, we're going to finish it today. And uh, we're, we've been talking about the last couple weeks, Jesus' teaching. And Jesus' teaching is, uh, man, it, it cuts... It's radical. It's very different than the world, and today is no different. Um, but the main theme that ties these three stories together today is this, consistency over hypocrisy. Consistency, not hypocrisy. Uh, when I use that word hypocrites, uh, we all go a little bit, right? Uh, but can anybody think of a hypocrite? You might want to point at one this morning. Just kidding. Just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, can you think of? Wow. Uh, can you think of people that have said one thing to your face and then lived a very different way behind your back? Can you think of ways that you have said one thing to someone's face and lived differently behind people's backs? We all can do both. Every single one of us. Right. And I think that's why Jesus teaches what he teaches today, because we all have this tendency to be hypocritical, to say one thing when it's convenient and then to live in a different way. Uh, this is not just a problem for those that are out there or someone in your house or someone wherever. No, this is very personal. So he's going to talk about consistency today, that Consistency means that the way that we live matches our heart, and, the way, and what's in our heart matches what's on the outside. Because here's the truth this morning. In Christianity, it's ultimately about a heart change. That's what we believe. Christianity is not behavior modification. This is not uh, we're coming every week so that Byron or the Bible or the preacher or whoever can tell us our motivational speech for the week and how we are to live and we're just going to change how we live. That works for a little bit, but it doesn't do anything long term. We believe that what is wrong with us is an internal problem. It's a heart problem. Not just externals, not just how we look, not just what we do. This is the problem with the Pharisees. They're good at the externals. They're good at the outside, at cleaning up the outside, but the inside did not match. There was not consistency. They were more concerned with doing the religious traditions than they were with the inside. Did they love their neighbor? Jesus calls them at some point in the Gospels whitewashed tombs. They look pretty on the outside. They're clean and they're white. But inside what is in them is death. That is the definition of hypocrisy. Whitewashed tombs looking good on the outside. So Jesus is going to give us three different ways today that we're to live with consistency, not hypocrisy. First, it's going to be humbly dealing with sin and helping others do the same. Then it's having our heart match our actions. And finally, he's going to talk about obedience, obeying the word of God. So let's read it together. This is Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 37. Jesus says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. 
good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs, excuse me, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is a man, he is like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built." But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that, um, God, that it teaches us what is true. God, in all the ways that we've tried to live in our flesh, God, are inconsistent, are hypocritical. God, but your word provides us the way to live truthfully and genuinely and consistently. God, I pray this morning, God, that we would hear it, we would obey it. God, that we would uh, humbly deal with the sin in our life. God, and that we would help others do the same. God, and I pray that our hearts would match up, God, with our actions, God. God, I pray this morning, because we're a bunch of religious people in this room, myself included, and I pray this morning that our hearts would be right and our hearts would be changed first and foremost, and then we would live that out in how we interact with our neighbor and interact with our brother. So we love you. We need you this morning. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, look at verse 37. We're going to take this in four different chunks. So let's go 37 through 38. He says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Uh, Jesus is teaching a very important theme, a very important truth about living in his kingdom and who we are supposed to be. 
that we are meant to treat one another in the same way that God has treated us. This is what we saw last week when he says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Why do we do that in God's kingdom? Because that's how God loved us when we were his enemies. Now, you can also look at it from another perspective. It's not just that we treat each other the way that God's treated us, um, but he also lays out the truth that how we treat one another is how we will be treated. Now, today, I think this is meant to make us think how we treat one another, how we uh, relate to one another, but it's also meant to make us think about how God treats us and how we are to extend that to other people. Now, he starts and he says, judge not, or do not judge. I love this quote from this commentary this week. Here's what R. Kent Hughes says. He says, some people do not know a single Bible verse. They might not even know there is an Old and New Testament, but let them feel the slightest disapproval, and the King James comes forth, judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Right? Is that true? In our day, one of the greatest cultural faux pas or sins that you can do is to judge someone, right? For them to feel judged by you. This is the worst of crimes in our day. Now, what does Jesus say? He says, judge not. Now, what he doesn't mean is that there is not good and evil. There is not right and wrong. He's not telling us to stop separating that which is right and godly from that which is unrighteous, right? This does not mean that we are to do that. We have what we believe to be true, what we believe to be right and good. That's not what he means. This, this word means to be hypercritical, to be uh, overly uh, examining someone's life, to nitpick, Judge is synonymous here with condemned. So we're not meant to be people that are so like, just fascinated and consumed with how someone else is living, right? And judging whether they did this, did all that sort of stuff. Because what that means is we're putting ourselves in God's position. Because God is a judge. That is the truth. And he will judge our lives. I had a friend growing up in the youth group that would, uh, Shane would know him, some others might know him. And we painted on the wall one time, like a quote or something. Do you remember this? And a certain friend put, only God can judge me. And it was this statement of like, only God can judge me. Get off my back. Like, you don't, like, you don't know me. Like, quit judging me. And I'm like, dude, do you understand what that means? Only God? can judge me, the one who sees it all and knows it all, you don't want that. But anyway, you want me to judge you, not God, right? And, and what he's talking about here, I got so sidetracked just then. Jesus is telling us not to be judgmental people. This is not our core. We're not to be critical. We're not to be consumed with everybody else. No, we're meant to be merciful and gracious, right? Because that's what he says next. He says, forgive and give. Don't judge, don't condemn, but forgive and give. Now, forgive means showing mercy. Forgive means showing mercy. 
Mercy, if I show you mercy, it is, or a judge shows you mercy, it means you don't get what you did deserve, right? If I shoot the president, I deserve life in prison, right? But if I'm shown mercy, I don't get that, right? And Jesus tells us to forgive, to extend mercy. But he also tells us to give, and it's the same word we get for grace. Grace means not that I didn't get what I did deserve, Grace means I got something that I didn't deserve, like my wife, right? She is grace in my life. I did not deserve her. That is grace. And Jesus is saying, one, this is how we're going to live in the kingdom. We're going to forgive and we're going to give. We're going to extend mercy and show grace. Why? Because that's how God is treating us, right? And he says, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, <laughs> this is not some, because I mean, there, there's a bunch of prosperity preachers out there that will quote this verse, and they're going to use it today in their service to say, if you give our church $100 today, then God's going to give you back $200 this week. Right? They're going to quote this verse and say that that's what this means. But is this the context of giving to the church? No, what's he talking about? How we treat one another. He's saying how you treat one another shows, one, how God has treated you and how you believe, but it, it, it shows how much you really believe that. That's what the context is. So how we view God shapes how we treat others. That's what he's trying to emphasize here. And so if, if we get off on this, if we, if we become judgmental, it means that we view God only as a judge. We, we viewed him as only an angry, you know, force in the sky that's just waiting for us to mess up. He's just waiting for us to screw up so he can strike us down, right? If we become judgmental like that, then, then we, have a, we have a false view of God, right? How we view God is so important. But we can also view God as this genie in the sky just just if we just do the right things and he'll just he'll just pour out whatever right if we say the right words or do the right things and he's going to give us stuff and the beauty of the bible is that god is both a merciful gracious god who loves us but he's also righteous and just and he will judge sin he can be both things because of jesus that he will judge us rightly one day. And if we have not been forgiven, we will spend eternity separated from God. But if we believe in Jesus, we put our faith in him, then we can receive mercy and we can receive grace and we can receive forgiveness. If we understand that, then we will treat people that way. We will love people enough to tell them the truth, but we will extend mercy and grace. And this is what he's saying here. We need to be consistent, not hypocrites, right? Let's look at it. Let's look at three stories. I've bitten off way more than I can chew this morning. 39. He told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck 
Take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. The first way that we live in consistency, not hypocrisy, is by humbly dealing with our sin first, and then helping others deal with their sin. If you notice in this story, so many times we we quote or we, we hear this story referenced, it's basically, only God can judge me, right? Get out of my business, right? And that, that's not the only point in the story. What, the first point is what? Take the log out of your own eye. Your own issues matter way more than the speck that's in your brother's eye. But the second point is also true. He says, take it out. Why? So that you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. I was looking for a cartoon this week to show you a picture because the picture is comical. A log. This doesn't mean like a splinter. He means like a log, like a, like a full-blown log sticking out of your eye. And he's saying, we are so blind to our own sin. We have to humbly deal with our own first. If we're going to be consistent and not hypocritical, just noticing the specks in everyone else's lives, we have to deal with the log in our own eye. We have to. In order to help each other deal with sin in each other's life, we have to deal with sin humbly in our own lives. We have to own it. We have to confess it. We have to repent of it. We have to deal with it. We can't minimize it or excuse it or magnify it and, and whatever, however we treat it. We, we have to deal with it, knowing that we can receive forgiveness, but we are meant to deal with it. He uses the word brothers, right? He uses this word. We need to agree on this fact this morning as a church. If we are going to live consistently and not be labeled, you bunch of hypocrites, then we need each other to help, right? If we try to get the log out of our own eye by ourselves, we will not be able. We need each other. We need one another because why? Because if I'm left to myself and in my sin, I will do all sorts of things, but I probably won't deal with it. I need brothers and sisters that will call me out and help me deal with the log that's in my own eye because I can't see it. It's called a blind spot for a reason. We need one another. That's the huge point in this passage. And then once we have dealt with our own sin, dealt with our own logs, then we're meant to help others. Jesus says the comfort that you've received, you're to help comfort others. We are meant to help one another deal with sin, right? And this is a very, I don't know, hard thing. And maybe that's why we don't do it a whole lot, because we are afraid of being labeled judgmental or a hypocrite, maybe, We don't want to do this, but if we really truly believe the word of God to be true, then we have to do this. We have to help one another deal with sin in our lives, right? 
Now, I, I was encouraged this week reading this commentary, and uh, this guy, R. Kent Hughes, talks about this. How are we to do this very practically? And he says, he gives a bunch of words. Here's how we are to help one another when it comes to matters of sin in each other's lives. Or to do it humbly, right? That means that we first examine our own life to see where we're in the wrong, and we deal with that. We have to do it prayerfully. We're not just doing this because we have an axe to grind with somebody. We have to do it biblically. That I'm not just coming to Gary to go, hey, I think you're wrong about this. No, I'm coming to him, showing him, hey, man, here's your life. Here's God's word, right? Sorry, Gary. You just have a pink shirt on, and my eyes are drawn to that this morning. Right? We have to do it prayerfully, biblically. We have to do it lovingly. That I'm coming, when we come to one another and say, hey man, I see this sin, it's because we love one another, not because I'm trying to put you in your place. It's because I love you enough to tell you the truth. We have to do it mercifully, not coming ready to throw down and give you all that, that you rightfully deserve because of this. No, we come to extend the mercy that we've been given. Very practically, we do it privately. I'm not calling Gary out on his sin this morning from the stage. And I'm going to go to him privately. We have to do it gently. I'm not coming in swinging haymakers trying to put him in his place and tear him down. No, I'm trying to gently, as, as I do with my kid when they have a splinter, as gently as I can, I'm trying to pull it out, right? And we have to do it constructively. The point is to help them grow. The point is to help them recover right? Like we, the major point here first is this. If we're going to live consistently as Christians, we have to deal with our own sin and we have to help each other do the same. Next, look at 43. He says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The second way we live in consistency is by we have to match up our heart with our actions. We have to look not just at the outside, at what we're doing, but we've got to examine our own heart. Jesus speaks about this, that, that the actions of our life, is, he calls it fruit. That is the fruit. But it comes from the tree. It comes from the DNA of the tree that it's a part of. right? And so just the same is true for us. How we live is simply the fruit, the natural uh, end product of what we believe, what we value, what we love, what we care about in our hearts. Our actions are simply a reflection of our heart. He says it another way that it's the overflow of our heart that the mouth speaks. Our words are simply an overflow of that which we have filled our hearts with. And he says we can look at people's lives and you can tell based on their fruit. Not always. Right? Sometimes people, like, whatever. Right? People live differently. But in time, fruit will reveal what is truly on the inside. 
So if this is the truth this morning, we've got to deal with this fact that Christianity is not just behavior modification. Live like this, don't live like this. Do all the right things. No, 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 no. You can clean up the outside all you want, but eventually, if you're an apple tree, you're going to produce apples. My second sermon I ever preached in the youth group over there, I brought four pieces of, ve- they weren't fruit, they were vegetables, but that's a fruit, right? Kind of, anyway, uh, like, a, like a squash, a bell pepper, a jalapeno, and a tomato. And I had just planted my first garden. And it was at this point in the sermon as I'm reading this text that I started taking bites of things. And I quickly realized about the jalapeno that was not going to make it very far. But the point was made that you can tell the fruit of what's in somebody's heart based on the actions, right? And so we have to, as Christians, realize that we do all sorts of things in our life, good, bad, indifferent. But we are not meant to just be concerned with that. We have to look at our heart. What's going on on the inside? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Where did I, where did I go wrong in my heart? Because if we just deal with the, the outside, it's like putting a Band-Aid on cancer. It may cover it up for a minute. It may feel good, but it doesn't fix what's broken. In Christianity, what Jesus is saying is that it is our heart that matters above all. In Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, this is Old Testament, and he's prophesying of what's to come. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey our rules. When we are saved, God gives us a new heart so that we can produce new fruit. Otherwise, if we're left with our old heart of stone, we will continue to try religious observance. We'll continue to try behavior modification, but it won't change who we are in our DNA. How many of you have started a diet that you never followed through with? Anybody? Oh, you bunch of liars. How many of us have tried some new fad diet and said, if I could just eat like this, then everything will be fixed? Or is that a little too close to home? Okay. Won't talk about that again. How many of us had good intentions to get healthy? Right? But all we did was change what we ate. But in our heart of hearts, what do you know? You love tacos. And you love chocolate, and you love sugar like my Hudson loves sugar. Our heart is what drives us, right? What we love is what drives us. And unless our love changes, unless our heart changes, you can do all the bad diets you want to do in Christianity. You can try all the spiritual disciplines you want, but ultimately we need a heart change. Look at 46. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears 
and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. The third way that we live in consistency, not hypocrisy, is by obedience to God's word. All right. We believe that the Bible is internally consistent. We believe that it is, that it is good. It is the definition of what is good. It is the definition of what is right. And so when we try to mix the Bible with our worldly philosophies and our, our internal desires and stuff, what happens? We live as hypocrites. So the only path forward to being a, living a consistent life, not a perfect life, but a consistent life, is obedience to God's word. James 1.22, he says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Knowing God's word is very important. You can't do what you don't know. But knowing it is not the final point. If we just come and hear God's word, if we just open it and read it, and we move on unchanged, we move on doing our own thing, what we think is best, what we think is right, what we think feels good, then we've missed the point of coming to God's word. We come to God's word to get our instructions for how to live because we believe that it's God's word that tells us the truth, not our own feelings. Apparently, there's people in this crowd that Jesus is speaking to that are calling him Lord, Lord, meaning like master, sir, uh, captain. Like they're giving him this title of being in charge. And he says, why would you call me that if you're not going to do what I say? Don't call me coach and not be on my team. Don't call me principal and not fall under my leadership. Don't call me in charge and then do whatever you want to do. He says, that doesn't make any sense. That's hypocritical. Don't call Jesus Lord and say, yeah, but I don't really believe that that part applies to me. Don't call Jesus Lord and say, yeah, but I, just, I, I'm going to do my own thing here when it comes to this. Because it just doesn't fit with how my life is going. He says, don't call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you. If we just live out our own principles, our own truth, our own whatever, we will be hypocrites. There's no doubt about it. The only way we can live consistently is to continue to come back to God's word. And we come to it, and when it exposes us, we repent. When it, when it tells me I'm wrong in what I'm doing, I confess that, I repent of it, and I move forward trying to obey this, right? I'm going to do that a thousand more times this year, right? And you're, if you're going to walk with Jesus, you're going to do it a million more times in your life. God's word will expose us because we are sinners. We are not perfect, but if we're meant to follow Jesus, we're meant to obey him. That's what he's saying here. And he says the man who obeys is like one who builds his house with a strong foundation. He builds his house on God's word. He builds his life on God's word. And when life comes at him and when storms come, it doesn't shake him. 
But the one who builds his house on his own truth, on his own lack of truth, on his own whatever acknowledgement that there is no truth, that man's house will be swept away. Right? This is a fundamental belief of ours. If we are going to live a consistent faith, we must know God's word and we must do God's word. Right? Because it's God's word that builds us up and it's God's word that builds God's church. And it's God's word who does not return void. My words, it's returning void right now with some of you, and that's okay. But God's word does not return void. It accomplishes the purpose that it's been sent for. And so I think simply the application for us today is this. Two things. One, we must learn repentance. And we must learn grace. Both. We will mess up. We will live as hypocrites at times. And when that gets exposed through God's word or a friend or a trusted brother and sister, confess it and move on. Right? You're not going to be perfect. Byron, I'm preaching to myself. Let it go. But when it gets exposed, repent of it and move forward. So we must learn repentance. Why? Because there is grace. Because there is forgiveness. We've sung about it. We've talked about it in life group. There's mercy and forgiveness and grace offered to every single one of us. And just as we have received it, we're to help others receive it as well. We need each other to experience that grace. Let me pray this morning. God, thank you for this morning. And man, it's not always easy. It's not always what I want. God, I pray this morning, God, that we would not be judgmental. God, I pray that we would be those who deal with the logs in our own eyes humbly. We deal with the sin in our life humbly. We repent from it and we move forward so that we can help others deal with the sin in their lives. God, I pray this morning, God, that we would be people who build our lives on your word and obedience to your word, not our own truth, not our own feelings, not our own thoughts and philosophies, God, but we would base our life and we would live our life based on your word. God, forgive us where we fail you. Forgive us where we live inconsistently, God. God, forgive us when we're hypocrites. But I pray more and more that our lives would show mercy and grace to each other and to the world who knows nothing of it, God. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.